Iron Man No More. With Tony Stark wounded and unable to don his armor, he decides to retire Iron Man for good. But when Firepower goes rogue and attacks Stark Enterprises, Tony may have to don a new set of armor to stop him. Armor Wars concludes as Iron Man becomes a hero once more. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Firepower Spivey. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about the last chapter of Armor Wars, issue 231, here on Speechless. Hello and welcome to episode nine of our Armor Wars read through as we hit the last bits of this amazing, amazing storyline. This and, is the, the best issue of the entire run. It is certainly the best issue of Firepower. I, I will say that much. Because <laughs> he's been a clearly an ongoing threat for this. It's not. It's been a kind of a last minute add on. But there, there are, I mean, we're joking, but there actually are some interesting bits to kind of, of dig into in this and some surprising things that when I read through it again, I was like, oh, that's a thing we should talk about. So I, I am actually a little excited about this. And it starts, I mean, it has the same art team as, as previously, uh, although I had to actually look that up because weirdly they don't seem to have credits in this issue. So kind of just had to do some investigative research to find out who actually worked on this. But it does seem that at the very, very end, you can see that it's still Dave Michelini, Doc Bright, Bob Layton, Jenny Chiang, all of them. So it is the same creative team we've had throughout. And it's actually been nice because so often with these long epics, it's really hard to keep the same creative team through. So it's actually been nice to see a pretty consistent vision throughout this, this run. I mean, obviously the Captain America crossover issues are different, but in terms of within Iron Man, it's been nice to see that same creative team. Uh, and we start with a slice of 80s television because the first panel is tuned to a lot of different uh, channels. In a minute, we find out it's via satellite. Uh, and most of them are tuned to various forms of Iron Man is dead recaps. You know, talk about how he's been kicked out of the West Coast Avengers. He was fired from Stark Enterprises. But we also see, as, as far as I can tell, Wheel of Fortune, Gilligan's Island, the Brady Bunch, and Gem and the Holograms, and Speed Racer. And Speed Racer. <laughs> Part of me thinks the reason that the artists aren't listed is in case there's a copyright violation. They didn't want to, the artists really didn't want to be sued. <laughs> like, if we don't credit them, they can't find them. That's true. That, 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 that's exactly how this works. And it's, again, like, it's a perfect kind of snapshot of, of late 80s daytime television, specifically, because it's, you know, cartoons, game shows, and reruns. That's, what you watch during the day and the weekday on, on TV and the news. Those are the options. So that was interesting. And also interesting, the idea that 12 channels was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we do find out that despite the ending of last issue, Tony Stark is in fact still alive, although very, very, very injured. And again, we get kind of a recap between the TV news bits and Tony and Rudy talking we get of where we're at so far and then the fight. But then we start to see a bit we didn't see last issue, which is that when Iron Man went into the helicopter and then after, before he left, they actually dumped the spare blood bags into the Iron Man suit. And then when he was shot down, that's why we saw blood in the helmet. Which is pretty ingenious. I did not think that, honestly. I mean, at the time, when I first read it, I thought it was cool. Rereading it now, it's like it feels like such a cop-out. Like, we don't... Like, like, throw, like, the writer wrote himself to a corner a bit, and it was like, oh, crap, how do I explain this? But, I mean, it's because it, it, it's, it's, it's piloted by remote control. And... That I can buy. I can buy the armor being piloted by remote control. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty common 
trope. We've been doing lots of the Tony, where, where is Tony and Iron Man and playing with that obfuscation. So that doesn't necessarily bother me. But how much blood would they have had to pour into that to approximate a human being? It's well, we saw how much they had before, but it's the fact that it's in the little in the little packets. You can even see him putting the packets in. Yes. And so the armor itself is open, so the packets are sort of like rummaging around all throughout it. <laughs> and you can envision they're going to get damaged somewhere along the way. But I think it's ingenious because in case a piece of it is still discovered, they then get to proof that there was at least something inside of it. To have like zero blood or anything from the wounds it sustained would have been at best questionable. And I would like to think they are more investigative and better deductive reasoning than what we've seen with S.H.I.E.L.D. And they would have pieced together that Tony wasn't up, that Iron Man's in fact not in the suit. That That is fair. I mean, and also some of this is a bit of looking at this through 2022 lens because my first instinct was also like, well, what if they test the blood to find out who it belongs to and they'll find out. It'll be some random donors. You know, but also this is late 89. I don't think they had that kind of sophisticated DNA testing yet. So that's more me kind of putting gears of being in the same culture as CSI kind of invading my brain a little bit. If if anything, I would say think you're, you're going ahead. Think backwards. For instance, I would say like the writers for this would probably be more familiar with the 50s and 60s sort of detective things where... Back then, police officers would invite the mayor and other people to come onto crime scenes and walk around and potentially take something home with them if they wanted to. Like, that is the level of investigative <laughs> skill that we used to see compared to what we have now. And it, unfortunately, it was true. And so it feels like they're going for more of that vibe. Which all that tells me is that nothing in investigations changed from the late 1800s till about 1976 is what I mean. Pretty much. Sherlock Holmes was right the whole time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, Rhodey says, okay, but you know, you, you made it through. Once you recover, you could build new some armor and be back to Iron Man, which is the logical conclusion. And Tony's like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm happy to let him stay dead. So, that's it. That's the whole issue. We're done. There's nothing else to recover. No, obviously that's that's not true. But it would have only been better if he could have like thrown the helmet into a trash can, and we could have had an image of him walking away, and they're showing you the the image of the helmet in the trash as Peter <clears throat> Tony walks away. <laughs> One of the most homaged covers I think in comic book history. Compared to like only thing I think of that's more homaged is maybe. The Fantastic Four issue one, where something comes out of the ground. <laughs> and if for some reason people don't know it, I'm making fun of, is when it's Spider-Man no more, when Peter Parker decides he doesn't want to be Spider-Man anymore, and he throws his costume into a trash can. Right, it's near the end of the Robert John Stanley run, and it's, it's around like the hundreds, I think, but very, and very influential lasts, yes, cover. Yes, and his stopping being Spider-Man lasts just about as long as Tony Stark's stopping being Iron Man. Right, which is exactly one issue. <laughs> Spoilers for 20 minutes from now. Uh, In a world anyway, where they so didn't care we, about money, wouldn't you have loved to have seen just like a 12-issue a run of Tony Stark just being a businessman? That's it. Just every day, go to the office. Go to I the mean, paperwork. You, you, you say that, but what's in, this is a, a complete digression, um, which I know is a shock for our format. We never do this usually. Uh, but th there is interesting kind of forecasting to a bit here because in the mid-90s, actually early 90s, um, we're going to have the Age of Apocalypse and the X-Men line. And they actually did kind of do that, where they shut down all of their comics, launched eight new comics at the time. And they just, as far as people could tell, these were the new comics. They, you know, they had no clue that well, how long they were going to last, what was going on with them. There were no X-Men new comics being made for four, it turned out to be four months. But we didn't have the internet now. We didn't have the kind of 
forward advertising that we do now. So at the time, I remember going, I don't know if the X-Men are coming back. I mean, I kind of figured they would because they were extremely popular. But to cancel eight whole books just for four months to do this stunt was a ludicrous idea at the time. So, I mean, you joke about that, but also soon after this, something equivalent does happen. And then, of course, um, much later in Spider-Man, there actually is a point where Peter Parker is indeed not Spider-Man for an entire year of comics uh, in the Dan Slott run. I won't spoil how that happens, but ultimately, you know, it, there are times where this kind of fake does happen. So, I mean, it, it, it could have theoretically changed, but at this point, the late 80s, people reading these comics would have realized, okay, I can, I'm giving my next issue. I know what's going to happen. It's going to be, there's going to be another Iron Man. Although, at least with an Iron Man, the idea that Rhodey was Iron Man for a while, it's still plausible that either he or someone else could have picked up the armor. Do you know why it was generally about four months while that would have happened for? I just found this out myself. I thought it was pretty interesting. No, no. So they did this something similar with the uh, death of Superman. Cause I was listening to geek oh. history lesson, a okay. great podcast. If you don't listen to, you should probably really check out. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's associated with how diamond solicits comics and how they have to put out the book so far in advance that it would give spoilers out if it falls in that window. So, so for Superman, they waited, I think it was five months so that you could, didn't know when he, when the real Superman was coming back. And so there was that big break in there Oh, and then it hit. So everyone still got all that. Oh my God. Compared to like being spoiled right away. That's actually extremely cool. Using the, the, the meta text of solicits and whatnot to play into the, the event. That's actually a really fantastic, cool idea. So yeah, if if you get a chance to listen to Geek History Lesson, it's awesome. Like Jason and Ashley have a great comic knowledge and they do like deep dives. And that I think that was a Lotus episode. Whoop, spoiler. Uh was about with Superman, <laughs> the death of Superman. It was interesting to see because Ashley works so much in comics and works from like the distrib the distributor part of comics. They talked about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that Superman's definitely one of those areas. The Death of Superman era specifically is one that I'm actually not that familiar with, so I have to definitely check that out. But we're not here to talk about a a dark-haired, strikingly attractive Caucasian soup. Well, hmm. <laughs> wait, wait a minute with wavy hair. No, no, no. We're here to talk about firepower because the scene shifts to. A man with a bazooka shooting firepower in the face, which is just what I want to see every comic, frankly. I want to see firepower shot in the face with a bazooka. If I was resistant <laughs> to bazooka fire, I would happily sit around and have some... Like, this is what you want from a superhero comic. Just blatant abuses of your power for, for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I love it because, like, it's the... He's because he's fine, and it's like, yep, it looks like I got no damage from that Iron Man fight. And so, like, great, the test succeeded. And it's like, where on the diagnostics chart do you go from we should see if this thing's seen damage to testing it with live bazooka fire? I mean, <laughs> is it step two? Is it step 20? I mean, where, where in the checklist do you get to bazooka? That's what I want to know. <laughs> but now we get the full reveal, though, that they're villains, and so the villains testing chart is different it is whatever oh, it is it's not as scientifically researched i have i have joked in the past about setting up some kind of social media account called osha violations in superhero comics and this would definitely be on that <laughs> list uh, but you're right cord is the one who's testing the firepower um, thing and the senator and general from the last issue are like, hey, cool, so we're going to pick up this suit and put it on the truck. And he's like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. The, uh, I've decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this. And if you try to take it from me, I will just go ahead and tell people that you didn't create this against superheroes, but as riot control armor that to be used against U.S. citizens, which is a lie. We know from the previous issue that this was designed to be an experimental prototype that was secretly being used against superheroes. Now he's saying that I would not reveal your secret agenda. I'll just make up a whole new agenda and just tell the public something completely different. And then there's a great moment, which I have to admit is very cool, 
of of the general bank. You know what? Whatever. I don't care. That thing needs to go on this flat truck right now. And then uh, Cord snapping his fingers, firepower blows up the truck and says, I don't see any truck. And then just walks off. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But, but it is also that is your, peak supervillain. That is the equivalent of a superhero blowing up something and walking away from it with like a fiery explosion yes. behind him is what that is. Yes. No, it's, it's, it is major sass, but also Cord is now officially leaned into super. And, and also uh, the pilot of firepower is completely on board with this change. He doesn't seem to have any remorse whatsoever about this. So either that was, this is always a plan or something changed between back then. I think it's more, this is probably always the plan. But again, like you said, last issue or last episode, I should say, if you had this kind of power, you'd like to use it. And I could totally see Cord going, they might give this to somebody else or you could stay with me and you can keep using firepower. Yeah. Like I could see that this was Cord's plan from the start, which we get from this, mm-hmm. but Taggart, the pilot's plan may or may not have been on board until he actually got to use it and enjoy having that ability. Right. Oh, similar. It's almost a, a shout back to the ah, the gremlin inside of the titanium man armor who felt more powerful inside the armor and was yeah. always wearing it. I completely agree. But just mentioning Taggart reminded me uh, last episode, we were not sure if Taggart was in Iron Man 3. I have since done the research because I remembered the MCU wiki exists. Uh, and yes, he was, in fact, the guy who blew up in Iron Man 3. So. And I think they race switched him too, didn't they? They did, in fact. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Jack Dagger exists in MCU for all five seconds and is a horrible character. Yeah. But we cut to Stark Enterprises, and um, Tony's hobbling around on a cane, um, and he's like, you know, Everyone's happy to see you back and he's okay. Send a memo out to everybody because this is pre-email. And it's like, you know, we're, we're dark days are over. We're on the move again. And then we get to the panel where Marcy correctly says, we should think of a new corporate spokesperson. That's not as controversial as Iron Man. And then says, why don't I contact Bill Cosby's agents? <laughs> I, I literally groaned when I read this. So did I. I saw that and I was like, oh shit, that's not age well at all. <laughs> so, but that's a segue into the next kind of plot beat, which is that firepower is now disrupting all sorts of. Stark Enterprise areas and also subsidiaries. Uh, so, for example, he literally breaks into a meeting of the Marston Manufacturing Group where they're reviewing Stark Enterprises' bid and they had put in a lowball bid. And they're like, well, despite all the controversy, this is by far the cheapest we should consider it. And Cord, almost like a mobster, just comes with firepower. It's like, It'd be a shame if something happened to you if you took that bid. Even lights a cigar like right next to firepower. It's 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 just peak supervillain. Even as a kid, though, I was like, "This doesn't work. It's a business. You can't intimidate all of them. They could easily call anyone and let them know what you've done." Right. The mob because it's at like a local store that no one's really paying attention to. Yeah, and it leads to a weird kind of plot structure here because uh, they they uh, they attack Accutech Research, which was as we talked about before, one of the subsidiaries of Stark. There's them Tony's on on sites trying to get some stuff loaded onto a train where firepower arrives, and during this conversation, they're like. We don't know who this could be. Some kind of armored suit shows up and has been blowing up Stark Enterprise stuff. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. One, there, due to your own actions, Tony, there aren't many armored characters left. That was what the whole point of the story is. 
So you have a really short suspect list. I'm betting it's not Dr. Doom. (laughs) (laughs) If only there was a huge suit built by one of your competitors that you very recently fought, who should be kind of at the top of your suspect list. (laughs) And yet it's just like, but it's the, all this cause of the harassment and interference by an armored warrior sounds disturbingly like firepower. And I'm like, <laughs> disturbingly like, it is, it's firepower. It's, it, as a piece, like, how many, even with all the armored characters on board, how many of them have a nuclear missile strapped to their back? It's a pretty distinctive feature. <laughs> but luckily, we are only in suspense for like five panels. And they use suspense in quotes there. Because firepower does indeed show up and blows up one of the shipments that Tony is there for and uh, find out you know, during the explosion someone's been hurt. Uh, and it's like, you know, you know, keep your distance, security guards, you know, because this guy's been hurt, so don't uh, attack firepower. And firepower is like, that's a good idea. Listen to this message I recorded where Cord says, this is Edward Cord. You ruined my life, and destroying Iron Man was merely the prelude to ruining yours. So he just confesses in front of cops to absolutely everything, naming himself. But that that's not proof. <laughs> that's a confession. We've got, we've a, confession. got a, a questionable supervillain in a big power armor who could have faked that message for all we know. But like... Even if that were true, right? <laughs> Let's for the moment say, okay, some guy decided to fake Edward Cord's voice to throw the scent off of him in the armor that Edward Cord, Edwin Cord invented. Okay, sure. Still, wouldn't you think Cord would be maybe the first person you talk to? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, I think suspect looks. We had firepower at the top of the list. Let's Let's put right above him, write the word Edward, Edwin Cord, <laughs> and maybe have a chat with him when his bodyguard, who's right in front of us, is not there. But one thing I will say that I like about this, uh, and it's much more of a long-term continuity thing, is that we've hit a point in Marvel history where there's enough depth of it, because that has been on for a little over 20 years at this point, that they can start doing really deep callbacks and having them resonate. And so Cord Industries was taken was, was something, or sorry, Cord Conglomerate was something that Stark ended up dismantling back in issue 145, and we're reading issue 231. So nearly 90 issues ago, which is about what seven, eight years in real time. And that is just such a deep, like, this guy has been sitting on this for a while. So this is one of the things that, like, if you've been a longtime Iron Man reader, this is actually a really huge kind of moment of, like, Cord's finally getting his revenge after all this time. But it's also shoved in the two panels here, and Cord isn't even in the story. It's his flunky is actually delivering the message. So it's like, there was this intent to, like, have this huge payoff, and it just isn't but it's a neat idea of let's bring this character back from a long time ago comic book wise and have him be the villain for this piece i don't know i think that it does pay off though because you wouldn't have cord there himself he is someone who would be moving the piece around the board kind of how he would envision tony is just moving iron man around the board so they're playing their own game of what will be generous and say chess chess between the two of them and cord who is obviously must have backed favors because we have an earlier panel where tony says i filed a petition with dc and they said they'd form a committee to look into it so you know right. that he's even doing more things on the back end that's hopefully mm-hmm. more than just like trying to mafia people to do what he wants but <laughs> so you have all that going on and this is just like an extra little tidbit to link make sure that you understand it's cord and cord is more of a mastermind and Taggart here is who he puts out to enforce his will. And that's a fair point. I mean, one thing that you you touched on that I kind of glossed over a little bit, but you're right, it's worth kind of going back and pointing out, is there has been a steady establishment through this entire arc that Tony can't use legal recourses for whatever reason. And although Cord has 
just pissed off a senator and a general by taking firepower armor, he still clearly has deep ties to both the government and the military complex. So there's a degree of sense of like, okay, they're going to form a supreme. They're, they're clearly stonewalling. So court has some influence that Tony can't counteract. And, and he's just another reason why he's kind of continues to be tempted by the vigilante route. So it is an ongoing thing of like Tony continue, whenever Tony tries to take, you know, make it purely business, it becomes personal. Whenever Tony tries to make it personal, it becomes about business. And so there's always kind of this Ouroboros of he can't decouple his business life and his personal life. So that is interesting. You look at it again from the, from the length of Iron Man continuity. There's an interesting moment. I, I guess my frustration was it's kind of crammed into a small piece of this comic. Whereas I felt like that if court had been more consistently throughout the arc, as opposed to just a couple panels in the early issues and then really just his last two issues, I feel like it would have been a little bit more of a payoff. Um, but there was kind of a lot of fake of like, well, it's Justin Hammer. Well, it's not really Hammer. It's, you know, the U.S. government's not, it's shield. And then like only throughout the thing, it's like we see Cord like, here and there and he mentions firepower and kind of slowly builds up and it kind of just builds these two issues. And I feel like, but then we go to this is 80s pacing versus modern pacing to a degree, right? Like if this had been modern, this would have been like 10 issues yeah. and it would have been nothing but build for Cord. This is a very different style of pacing where most stories take place in three, four issues at most. And those are the biggest stories. So some of this also is again, me looking back from modern sensibilities going, why isn't like this when in fact a two issue build is pretty reasonable, I suppose. So I take it back. Maybe I'm, I'm unfairly criticizing this. So as a, a slight tangent, I, I was overly familiar with Justin Hammer. I think most of us are. And mm -hmm. not as much with Cord. What I would actually like to see is for Cord to now make their way into the MCU and pop up potentially as like an antagonist for War Machine or Ironheart since mm -hmm. Tony is out of the way. And that'd be like an interesting dynamic to watch unfold. Yeah, because granted, it's been a few years since I've read the storyline, but basically how it works out is Cord's daughter, niece, one member of his family actually is a scientist, ends up getting to know Tony Stark, asks him for help just on a purely business level. He helps to set up her company. And then she finds out that Tony Stark fired Cord initially from his company. And that's the reason why they did the spinoff company. And so they become rivals and Tony basically created Cord conglomerate, initially helped to create it anyway. Um, and then she eventually has second thoughts and her uncle, father, which basically gets her removed from the board of directors so he can take over the company. So it's an interesting character drama slash elaborate plan to use Tony Stark's money to fund his own ruin. <laughs> and it was an interesting storyline, you know, written in the early 70s. So take it for what you will in terms of the, the, the tone and tenor. But I mean, it was it was an interesting of like having a woman as CEO as a potential threat and rival to Tony Stark and potentially on the same level as Tony Stark was a cool, interesting storyline at the time. But anyway, so Tony decides to go back to his home and build a new suit of Iron Man armor. What I love about this specifically mm -hmm. is that it shows this is over the course of months, and it's yeah. not how it is in other things where I've seen like where he builds an Iron Man armor in a day. It's like that. Right. I'm willing to spend a lot of disbelief, but not to be able to build something that complex in that short of period of time. But you get to see each panel broken down and goes over like what he's doing, each little part of it, the introspection and how dedicated that is and how that stops every other part of his life to do this. Yes, absolutely. And he also uh, has built in a security chip that if, Anyone tries to duplicate the, the circuitry of the armor and they do input a certain code that only he knows, then it will destroy the circuitry. So he, this, this arm, Iron Man armor cannot be duplicated as far as he knows. And there's some 
interesting just visual changes to the armor, which I like. One is we're back to the red and gold because we had the red and silver. This is you know, last year's was literally the last that we see of the red and silver armor. And I have a fondness for the kind of chunky, blocky, triangle, red and silver armor. But you know, this is a more classic look. Secondly, the coloring of it, um, there's a lot more black on the the red parts than is usual. So it reads on the page as much more kind of like a, a dark burgundy, which is a really cool visual touch. It, it's a it's a reflection of Tony's mood. Iron Man himself looks a little darker. He's getting rid of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're right up to the 90s. You're getting close to the 90s. But the best part of this is the popped collar that Iron Man has <laughs> in his suit. Because his collar is really high along the sides and it looks legitimately like he has flipped up his lapels on his shirt. It's perfect. So Tony has been ignoring his company for under close period of time, but yeah, it's definitely in the scale of like weeks or months. So it's been a long time. Uh, but time marches on that a new branch of Stark Enterprises is opened, and uh, despite uh, it's being opened by one of the councilmen of the city, and so despite the financial setbacks, we're sure this facility will help you know bring this bring great work into. Marion County, which I think is in California. Uh, Marin, sorry, not Marion, Marin. Uh, but of course, firepower shows up to to blow it up. And now, Iron Man wait, is there. Oh, let's, let's think about this. So Tony has been off the board for months now building mm-hmm. this armor. That means that firepower has been flying around for months, intimidating people, kicking in stark doors, months unaccosted by we can assume the police the military the avengers what what how does one get such free reign for open supervillainy well i mean that committee is still meeting chris (laughs) i'm sure once they come to a final consensus then we'll then roll out an action plan to deal with firepower if anything i think the Sinister Six would have been so upset that this guy gets to run around and no superheroes bash him in the face, they would have taken him down. What about that guy who does bullshit? Now, even Doom can't get over with this stuff because, you know, definitely not a community that takes you so far. <laughs> That's it. That, that, that was my, my quibble. Yeah, no, it's... it's Yeah, but like, there's very much a strong element of the plot stops while Tony makes an armor suit. That, that's a pretty common problem with Iron Man in general, frankly. Although later writers do more stuff of like him always fiddling so that way each new suit is kind of piecemeal out. But this this story, and this whole arc has been a fair bit of either I invented it when you weren't looking or the plot needs to stop while I build a new suit. But uh, Iron Man shows up. And of course, uh, Iron Man, because Tony's already had this fight, has found ways to counter, counteract firepower's stuff. So he's he's able to jam the missile locks. Uh, he has a sequencing computer, which allows him to um, shoot the missiles that are unlocked in the air to triangulate them and shoot them down. Um, and this is, I love this moment so much. This is one of the things I love about this arc is that Tony has spent the whole arc mad that people have stolen this technology. And so what does he do? He incorporates an energy shield that he is admits <laughs> he has stolen from one of the Raiders' weapons, which is one of Cord's designs. I love it too. <laughs> it's like, not only is this a beatdown, but it's also, look at my flagrant IP theft. And if you want to be mad about this, <laughs> see the beginning of this whole storyline. And, and it's so good. Just from a, a a combat level, this seems like something that he should have incorporated and created himself yeah. years ago. Because mm-hmm. the armor can take a beating, but why take a beating when you can literally deflect it? 
and also it's it's also got a thematic resonance because like he also built a shield for Steve Rogers recently. And even though obviously that didn't go well for Tony, there's still kind of the, Oh, shields keep popping up through storylines. So him building ones, this new suit of armor actually it's like, okay, yeah, it's one of those things that, like it both makes sense, but also you're right. It's the, yeah, why didn't Iron Man do this earlier? Um, and, and those are the best right, kind of improvements. Yeah. And if I remember right, though, we will not see that shield very much more after this. <laughs> right. It, it, it's, it's the downside of these new suit reveals is often it's the, oh, there's a new feature, and then other writers forget about them, and then they just go away. Only for another, another writer to remember later. Oh, by the way, I remember late 60s or 70s, there was a throwaway line about how every time he moves, he gets back a little bit of energy. Which was a weirdly prescient forecasting of like things like uh, how braking in cars works now, where like especially electric cars, if you brake, it actually funnels a little bit of the energy from the braking back into the battery. But then, like, it was forgotten for like thirty issues. <laughs> then, oh, by the way, I have this thing. So after uh, Tony dodges all of the firepower. Uh, he firepower says, I'm going to launch Terminex that worked last time. And he discovers that due to the beating that Iron Man gave him, the, that the backpack is crumpled. And so the missile won't launch. And he's like, Hey, you know, Iron Man to nukes on a timer. I can't stop it. Get me out of here. We only got 30 seconds. So. Again, an interesting callback. Tony uses an EMP pulse that he learned from Force, which I think actually that happened right before this arc. This is I think so. A bit of Force, but because still. for us, Force was already given a secret identity by Tony and working at Stark Enterprises. Right, right, right. Uh, but still, you know, referencing Force at least it was a kind of callback to the beginning of the story. Um, and so I can shut it down for six minutes and basically just uh, brute force the code to try to shut it down. And he's like, hey, I can't, I can't break you out of this, so I'm going to use my sensors to, to find the answer, and then I'll shut it down. Uh, it's B-roll still. The timer kicks back on. Oh, i got a few seconds left. And then Tony's like, I think I have the code. Uses uh, a cyber probe uh, to... Point at him to shut down. Everything shuts down. And he's like, you know, you better be smart because there'll be others. Someone will kill you just like I killed the last Iron Man. And Iron Man rips the helmet off. He's like, wait a minute. You could have taken me out any time. I thought you said you couldn't get me out. And just, we speak a great image of Taggart's face reflected in Iron Man's faceplate where he just says, I lied. <laughs> and so... Tony's still got that dark edge to him. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting beat because the the traditional planning would have been something along the lines of like Tony realizing how far his his problems have taken him and how far his vendetta took him, and seeing firepower. It's like yeah, I can see my darkness reflected in him, and so I'll, I need to go back to being better and blah 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 blah. And no, no, Tony. His more aggressive stance doesn't leave at the end of this story. And I thought that was an I want, interesting touch. It was, but I also want to go back one page, basically, mm -hmm. and note he's he thinks he could do this. I want to note the massive crowd of people watching well within a nuclear blast radius. So there well, was Ending warning to flee, to leave, to put on sunglasses in case it gets bright. <laughs> Nothing but to sit there and watch him do this, which is great for Iron Man's ego and Stark Enterprises' company reputation, but does not take into account their lives. Yes and no. Uh, I'm generally with you. I mean, there, at no point does Iron Man say, 
hey, there's a nuke here, call somebody, you know? It, it, it's, it's all he says is, I can't do anything about it. Because uh, a lot of his thought bubbles he says, I'm going to run a sensor scan. And then he says, uh, I think I found the code. So those are the only things he actually says before the situation's over. At no point does he engage the crowd. That said, with six and a half minutes, there's no way you can't run a nuclear blast. They're dead no matter what. So, meh. <laughs> <laughs> you, so you're saying it is better for them to die in ignorance than them to die with knowledge in terror. Yes. Also, I mean, I see your point in the sense of Tony is still in that high level strategy we talked about, right? He's not like Steve Rogers would have immediately said something to the crowd. I just feel like when we saw that interaction, he absolutely would have would have thought about that and addressed that. We're not seeing that here. So Tony's not changed. He's still the same person. But also, I could see him justifying to himself, well, they're dead anyway, so I need to spend this time focusing on shutting down the nuke. And not apologizing for it, but I could, I could see why he... His, I can see how his thought process got there, even though we don't see that on the page. That's me filling in the gaps there. And also, hey, great PR. <laughs> and so uh, the issue, Tony goes back to his retreat. And side note, but we've talked before about how we feel like this run was probably influential on the Iron Man movies. And this is the first kind of really good look we get at Tony's house. And it looks a lot like the house he has in Iron Man 2. It's yeah. hanging off the cliff and everything. Uh, so I really feel like there's someone somewhere, consciously or unconsciously, probably read this and, and drew inspiration from it. Well, given that they're also moving towards Armor Wars now. and Right. Kevin Feige, I, I, I will give the ultimate kudos to for being a long time planner to think out everything well in advance and have like this big scripted idea created mm -hmm. that hit after Thanos but like right after we get introduced to the Avengers I think that's when the big plotting all started right right pre-Avengers no <laughs> no the, the, all the movies up to the Avengers were just to get to the Avengers because that was more planned than ever done before at the time after that you're right I, I do feel like there's been a lot of bits and pieces and, and, and plot hooks that have been put out there and getting them ready to kind of slump into place as needed. Uh, but Tony is bandaged. He's getting ready to go to bed. Um, he has his armor and suitcase and it's like, while I still have enemies out there, they may not attack me directly, but there aren't many people powerful enough to stand against them. So I I have a responsibility to keep my inventions from evil in his hands, but I have a greater responsibility to oppose that evil in any way I can. So he kind of talks himself into staying Iron Man. As as I the war's over, but I still feel uneasy. And then he basically, you know, I'm going to get some sleep, the first good night's sleep I've had in ages. And that's the end of the issue. It's not the end of our coverage because... There is an epilogue after this um, on issue 232, which we're also going to cover. But this is, again, something that when I was younger was really cool because this could have just been the end of it, right? It's like he can sleep easy. He, he, he feels like his conscience is lifted as a, as, a, as a good beat to end this story on. But in fact, this scene does lead directly into the next issue in a way that when I was getting these issues month to month, I absolutely did not expect. But before we go into any of that, did you have any final thoughts about this issue? I only want to say that with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, there's a lot of repetition in some of these Marvel stories. That is fair. Seriously, we knew that Tony was a, was not going to stop Iron Man. Right. And so as me reading this now, looking back, finds that somewhat frustrating. But when I first read it, 
I was I liked the beat of it and the moral quandary that it presented. I can mm-hmm. think of like young Chris compared to bitter Chris. <laughs> and Fine. it was nice to see. That's pretty much all I've got. No, totally. Um, and that's something that it's, it's been an interesting struggle during this specific review is trying to look at this simultaneously as adults who are trying to analyze a piece of media and also as remembering what it was like reading this as kids. And it's been, I mean, as this, this episode in particular, but throughout our entire episode so far, has been a lot of kind of us bouncing back and forth between, but if you remember at the time or what about this? And it's particularly jarring when you have a specific panel, like in this issue where it's like, it's so hits very differently now than it did back then. So it's, this has been a really interesting run to look at because it takes on different textures in a world where there have been several Iron Man movies, which was just not a thing that would even be conceived of when these issues came out. And a lot of how comic books are made and produced are just different now. But at the same time, I'm with you. There's a lot that when we were reading these felt so innovative and mind-blowing. It felt like it was doing things that nobody was really doing. And in retrospect, we look and say, well, this piece was done here and this piece was done there. And, you know, now some of the stuff they're doing seems very rote. But still just having seven solid issues and a crossover all tying together, telling this epic story and seeing a character who, if not a tentpole, but certainly was a well-established Marvel hero going down this very dark road. It very much, we've said it several times, but it, it's presaging the 90s in a lot of ways. It, it, it's interesting to see how this run of comics is so weirdly prescient in terms of where comics are going to go. And it's also... I can't remember exactly when it happens, but Tony Stark does literally become a villain before the Avengers, I think, reborn run happens. Mm -hmm. And they have to bring, I think I mentioned this earlier on, but they have to get a, bring the young version of Tony Stark from the past to battle the current evil Tony Stark. Oh yeah, I do remember that run. And after the heroes reborn, that's just kind of all dropped and ignored. Right, because we're, I mean, we talked about how the um, X-Men thing was, was very innovative, but we have a similar innovation coming, I think, right around that same time. It's like, no, it's after that, where they just cancel a handful of their books and reboot them, which nowadays, again, is such a common thing. But they just hired a whole new creative team to reboot their comics. And so... Lingering plot lines like that just got dropped and never addressed again. There was some stuff in Fantastic Four that got dropped and never really addressed again. The Avengers had a hard stop. So it was it was an interesting time of, of innovation. Uh, and we often only remember the failures, but there was some interesting, cool stuff happening too. So this is leading for where Tony will go to? And mm-hmm. I, I still stand by, I think, that Tony Stark is still one of the greatest villains. And it's just fortunate for the Marvel Universe that it takes a long time to get there. And because he even goes back to a villain again, I think they once he gets like nanites in his system or something in the 2010s, and he's in sort oh, of Warren superior, silver wrong, armor. Yeah. He's not superior Iron Man, but he's something like that. And he becomes a villain again. So it's an ongoing cycle for Tony to ramp back up to villainy, to have something happen to make him a hero again. And like this and the behavior in this entire series is indicative of that. Cause even while he's laying there to have like the sleep of the just think about the missions that he went on and what he did, like the people that were controlled by the controller, some of which are died because of him, the supervillains mm-hmm. that he released into the wilds are because of his actions. And so the irony of him getting a good night's sleep after having done these continuously, evil deeds is comical in a sense, but that's as an adult looking back on. And again, what's, what's 
the reason why I felt we needed to cover the next issue is because we realized it's actually not true. So I won't say anything more, but we're going to cover, we're going to wrap this up with issue 232 next issue. And one of the reasons why I love it is because the guest artist is Barry Windsor Smith and it is a gorgeous issue. If, if you've not read any of the other issues we looked at for this one, I do highly recommend getting a Marvel Unlimited, buy the Epic Collection, whatever, however it takes, but look for this issue because it is a, it is very much a visual storytelling issue and we'll do our best to cover it, but it really is worth looking at just the, the pages of it. It is some of the best late nineties art, comic book art you'll see. Awesome. So with that, Chris, if people wanted to talk to you about Tony Stark's inevitable decline of villainy, where would they find you? You could find me in the Darker Who Discord. You could find me on social media. I started a Mastodon account, so we'll see how that works out. Otherwise, you can go to the Darker Who website. What about you? Um, You can find me. My website is at uh, pugsteady.com. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. I am also in the trying a whole bunch of websites out. So like, you can try to find me on co-host, you can try to find me on Mastodon, um, but really just find me through my website. And then from there, we'll figure things out. Uh, or I'm also on the darker, huge discord posting memes. A lot of, a lot of transformers memes again, lately I'm back on the transformers shit posting that that'll happen. I've been posting a lot of Iron Man images. The last one was uh, Iron Man on roller skates. Yes. Which is the best Iron Man defense <laughs> system ever created. And I will stand by that. Uh, but join us again for our final episode of Armor Wars issue 232 next week. Catch you later. Peace.